something absolutely wonderful about just praising the Lord and just telling Him uh, and speaking it directly to Him. And you know, I I encourage you all, even even when you're on your own or with a husband or a wife or a friend or son or a daughter, and you're just talking about the Lord, that at any point in time, without a single musical instrument present, you can enter into praise. And you can just begin to tell Jesus what He means to you. And how precious He is. Thank Him for what He's done. For the minute things in your life, and you all know what they are, where you just turn around and you go, Wow, God, you are so good. And it's, it's an amazing thing. I've shared this with you before, I know. But that I praise Him, and my heart gets encouraged. I lift Him up, and I feel better. You know, I, I focus all attention on the Lord Jesus Christ... And my life is better for it. Something absolutely amazing about the Lord that we serve. So much, Lord, in fact, as we enter into your word tonight, we do so with expectation of what you're going to do and what you're going to say. And I pray, Father, you will help each individual here tonight, and myself as well, to be conversational with you. As we read through this and hear this story, some of these interesting and bizarre things that Samson does and as we move through and, and seek understanding Lord may we be in our own minds and hearts talking to you through the process saying Lord what does this mean what are, you, what are you getting across here how are you speaking Father may we just be conversing and, and also Lord while we listen may we be silent for your answer so we don't take up all the time with our own voices as we are so often capable of doing Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and ask you to be our teacher. Ask you to put, Father, words on my lips for clarity and understanding, especially for a deepening relationship with you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the grounding and the sound doctrine of your word. how you keep us straight and clear and understanding. And bless our time tonight in your word, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to begin in verse 24 of chapter 13, leading into chapter 14. There seems to be kind of a a natural uh, redirection there. says the woman, remember we talked about this on Sunday, the woman is Samson's mother, the man is Manoah. Some of you didn't hear this on Sunday because I forgot to share it first hour. The meaning of Manoah's name is very significant. Because as we study in chapter 13, we see a picture of a woman who's waiting on the Lord and listening. We even find her out in the field, just sitting. And the Lord comes to her and He tells her what He wants her to do. He says, you're going to have a son. I know you're barren, but I can take care of that. And you're going to have a son, and he's going to be a Nazarite. And here's how you raise a Nazarite. And it begins with you. Speaking to the woman, it begins with you. Don't drink now yourself. You begin to live out the vow of the Nazarite, even as the mother of this, of this boy, so that he sees in you what I have for him. And so she's listening and she's waiting, and her husband Manoah wants more, as so many of us guys do. I want more information. That's great, honey. Glad the Lord spoke to you. I need confirmation. And I need a little bit more understanding. And so this is what Manoah does to the whole chapter. Even to the point that he is in the presence of Jesus Christ himself. And he doesn't recognize him. He can't see him. Because he's striving. 
And it is such a picture in our own lives that as we strive, even if we're striving to know the Lord, even if we're striving to understand His Word, if striving is in the picture, we can so easily miss Him because Jesus is not about striving. He is about the meaning of Manoah's name, which is rest. How ironic it is that the man whose name means rest is striving so much he can't see Jesus. No, please laugh because it is ironic and it is so much like we often are. Lord, why aren't you speaking to me? Relax, Rick. And you'll hear me. Okay, alright. I just wish I'd hear you right now. I need to know yesterday. You know, striving. And so we come to the end of this story and... And the, the, the angel of the Lord who's speaking to him shares his name. He says, I'm wonderful. My name is wonderful. I don't believe he's speaking in terms of... Uh, well, would that be a verb? Wonderful something? Or would that be... A, what is that? Adjective. It's an adjective. Thank you for knowing your parts of speech. So it's an adjective, but I don't think it's an adjective. I believe it's a, it's a proper noun. It's a pronoun. It's a name. Wonderful. Because we know in Isaiah 9.6 that he is... Wonderful Counselor Mighty God Everlasting Father Prince of Peace It's a name for Jesus And so Wonderful The wonderful messenger The messenger named Wonderful Jesus Goes up in the flame Of the fire from the altar After giving this message And explaining And and actually meeting Mr. Restful Where he was Though he was not restful And it tells us Beginning in verse 24 Picking up from there That the woman then gave birth to a son And named him Samson And the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And watch this, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him, in Mahanadan, between Zorah and Eshtael. And as we begin to really get into the life of Samson, his life begins and sounds a lot in many ways like another child. A child that Luke tells us about, Luke 180, a child who continued to grow and become strong in spirit, or strong in the spirit. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself here. I may actually repeat this later. So if I do good, we'll hear it twice. And if you miss it now, you'll catch it like next time around. But it's interesting to me. I heard someone recently make a comment about the, the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus at his baptism. And the comment was that Jesus did not have the Spirit before the Spirit came upon him at his baptism. And I disagree. Child grew strong in spirit. Jesus was always God. Now, now Jesus wasn't always empowered by the Holy Spirit and there is a distinction and that I will wait for because I know it's coming up in a few minutes here but Jesus was a child who grew and became strong in spirit Samson same thing the child grew up and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtel and it's interesting a comparison to Jesus might seem obvious when you look at Samson's life you might say well like Jesus Samson's birth was foretold to a woman who shouldn't be able to have a baby. You may say, like Jesus, Samson's life was one of amazing power in the Spirit. Great feats of strength. And like Jesus, even Samson's death, if you know the story, is a picture of sacrifice. He loses his life as a sacrifice in taking on the Philistines. But mark this, Samson was no Jesus. I've served with Jesus. I know Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine, and Samson is no Jesus. Those of you who were uh, 
paying attention to the vice presidential debate back in 1988, way back when Lloyd Benson, Senator Lloyd Benson of the Democratic Party and Senator Dan Quayle of the Republican Party were going at it in debate. And it's one of the most uh, powerful statements made in a political debate. It, it almost altered the election that year. Lloyd Benson, after Dan Quayle had just compared himself to John F. Kennedy, and he was thinking, I'm a young man, he was a young man, I can't spell, he could, but, but you know, that, you know and he's made, he made some comparisons, and Lloyd Benson was incensed and said, Senator, I served with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. You, sir, are no Jack Kennedy. And the place came apart. And regardless of your political persuasion at the time, I sat there and went, he just won the debate. <laughs> he just put that little boy in his place. I mean, that's the way it felt. The older senator putting the younger senator in his place by the statement. And this is important to recognize. And I, and I point this out because Jesus' birth, not like Samson's birth, he was born of a virgin, not of a barren woman. So there's a difference right off the bat. Jesus' life was perfect. Samson's life was far from perfect. And a study in contrast between spirit-empowered feats of strength and fleshly appetites. You see this in Samson. Nothing like Jesus in the way he's going to live his life. Now, I was really impressed with Samson. Again, shared Sunday, I saw that picture of him sacrificing himself in the Philistine temple. And I thought, wow, what a great hero of the faith. And you read his story and you go, wow, what a loser. <laughs> what a weakling this so-called man of strength is. His life is nothing like the life of Jesus. And his death, gang, his death was sacrificial in that dying, he dealt a blow to Israel's enemies. But unlike Jesus, the sacrifice of Samson was a result of his own sin. He got himself there. The death of Jesus was as a result of our sin. And he didn't deserve it. And so the true contrast between these two lives is that the life of Jesus is perfectly different and perfectly other than the life of Samson. And it's a great reminder to us all, and I want you to see this again. Verse 25 tells us before we get into any of the story of Samson that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So like Othniel before him, like a few of the other judges where it's absolutely spelled out, Samson had the Spirit. But you read his life and you say, well, wait a minute. This man had the Spirit, but he lived so much in the flesh. How does that work? I mean, I always thought when someone had the Holy Spirit, if, if someone's baptized with the Spirit, man, they are living the clean and slick life. They got that Teflon coating, you know, where sin just kind of slides right off and can't stick. And it's not true with Samson. He has the Spirit, but he walks in the flesh. And it's a confusing and interesting tale. But I point out the contrast with Jesus for this reason and this alone. Our focal point, our entire center of our lives must always be and only be on our Lord Jesus Christ. It is never Jesus and. It is only and always Jesus alone. In our relationships, it's not Jesus and. It's Jesus alone. It's not Jesus and my small group leader. It's not Jesus and my teacher. It's not Jesus and my pastor. <laughs> you know that. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not Jesus and these other spirits that are speaking to me. It is Jesus alone. It must always be Jesus alone. I say that because, gang, i, I got to go off here. We are living in northern Washington. There are a lot of voices in northern Washington, and I'm talking spiritually. And there are a lot of 
spiritual people in northern Washington who are chasing after many of these voices. And when we get kind of settled in our Christian lives, and then here at the bridge in our fellowship with other believers, we, we don't hear those as much. We don't recognize them as being there. But, but you drive by, you see the number of palm-reading shacks around. There's a lot of things, and, and, and some of you, and I'm going to go ahead and say this, I might offend some of you, and I apologize if I do, but um, there are a lot of people who will go to um, acupuncturists or naturopaths or, or seek holistic medicines and before you get incensed if you do any of that just understand what I'm saying I'm not saying that it's all wrong what I am saying is that many people in those professions those professions come out of the east and often have their connection with eastern mysticism and paganism so would you do yourself a favor and make sure you're not doing Jesus and Jesus and what my naturopath told me I needed to do, you better be sure that that person, if you do go to a naturopath, is a Christian and a believer in Jesus Christ. Because I'm telling you, I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord and how strong you may believe you are in the Lord Jesus, if you're taking advice and counsel from someone who has other counselors than the Lord, it's dangerous. We have to keep our focus on Jesus. The further down the line in teaching at the Bridge Christian Fellowship that I go, the more I recognize we didn't just start off with Jesus, now we head on to other things. We stick with Jesus always. And we never depart from Him. Well, the Hebrew writer said there are things that you move on from in your, in your growth and understanding. You know, let's, let's, let's move aside from, from these other things, from, from the things that, that maybe you started out your Christian life with. It must move deeper into your faith, but you never move away from Jesus, only deeper into Jesus as a, as a child of God. I love Peter's words, John 6, 68, Lord, to whom else shall we go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Peter said in Acts 4.12, There's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name, just Jesus. And the Hebrew writer says, Fix our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12.2, The author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart you want to grow strong and deep in your spirituality you pursue Jesus in everything and you seek him as the center of your entire life and you will grow deep in your spirituality but I just warn you be careful of other voices because they are they are here. Not here and now. Not here in this barn. I believe the authority of Jesus Christ is reigning over us tonight. But the voices are being spoken in this area. And we need to learn to be sharp and aware. And have eyes wide open. Now with that said. Let's go on into Samson's story. Understanding the contrast between Samson and Jesus himself. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him at Mahanadan. Between Zorah and Eshtel. That's about eight miles from Jerusalem toward the Mediterranean Sea between Jerusalem and what is Tel Aviv today so this, this region you can get a picture those of you who have been there you get a picture of that and if you haven't you can look on your Bible map and get an idea of where, where this happened where Samson began to receive this stirring of the spirit and don't forget this because this one verse verse 25 is the key to the entire uh, life of Samson all of the acts of strength that he performs are because of verse 25 because of the spirit in his life it's not huge biceps. It's not broad shoulders or washboard abs. 
Incidentally, and I, I've been thinking about this, there are those who believe that Samson was not built at all. Best, at best, he was normal. At worst, he may have been a wimp. He may have been a 98-pound weakling. Well, how can you say that, Rick? Well, later on, it's interesting, toward the end of his story, the Philistines are trying to figure out, what is it that makes this guy strong? Why is he so strong? We don't get it. That indicates to me, maybe they're just not seeing You know, he doesn't have the rippling muscles, and yet he, he lifts up the, the gate of the city and walks up to the top of the hill. <laughs> how does somebody do that? Who looks like that? I'm not pointing to you, Aaron. (laughs) He may not have been this muscle-bound stud that we picture him as at all. He may have actually been pretty plain and normal looking, which is why the Philistines were confused as to his strength. And it's not also the long flowing locks of Samson's hair that made him strong. Not even the vow of the Nazarite. I said this on Sunday. It is the one in whom the vow was made. The one to whom the vow was made. The spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the spirit of God on Samson that gives him his strength. Do you feel weak tonight? Do any of you feel a little weary? And a little worn? And and like maybe you can't handle it all. And I'm looking over here at Natalie, who's home with the kids and her husband's in Iraq. And I'm thinking, do you feel a little weak, Natalie? Getting a little worn out with the kids? you need us to send someone over and get them out of there for... If you feel weak... I have them tonight. Are you having tonight? See? Good. Good. Night off. And you're here. The strength, the strength never comes from us. Is from the Spirit of the living God. So the Spirit of God is on Samson. That's the source of His power. Verse 1. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman. That could be the the story of Samson's life right there. Samson went down and saw a woman. Saw this woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he came back and he told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. And then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She looks good to me. (laughs) Out of three million Israelites, you couldn't find one woman that looks good to you? Yeah, but I saw this woman in Timnah. I want her, Dad. I want her bad. Go get her. He sees this woman in Philistine territory. You know what he's saying, don't you? She's quite a Philly. You're going to laugh like that at all my bad puns? The problem is, Samson had no horse sense. That's the problem here. Wonderfully, mark this next verse. Verse 4. However, the father and mother did not know it was of the Lord. For he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time the Philistines were ruling over Israel. In other words, God's at work in this. Now if you didn't get to verse 4, you'd say Samson's at lust in this. <laughs> That's the issue. This was a woman. But then the Lord enters the picture and says, yeah, he does. But you know what? I'm, I'm doing something here. I, even in spite of Samson, I, I'm at work. Because the Philistines need to be taken out of control. And Samson's the man I'm going to have do it. And it's the first time that I begin to go on. Then you go, I can't even believe God's using this guy because he's a bonehead. You know, he's just, he's not thinking, he's just, you know, it's all physical, it's all lust with him. And God says, yeah, he's my man. Okay, okay, Lord, that's what you say. 
Just remember this, what Satan intends for evil, the Lord can use for good. And so we pray the Lord's will in any given situation. Even if we see evil there, we say, no, Lord, you know, you can use this. And he does in Samson's life. Verse 5, it says, Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, and he came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that he tore him as one tears a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Bible students, what does the Bible compare to a roaring lion? That's right. That's right. Satan. Satan is the roaring lion of Scripture. And here we see Samson going down to Timnah, to the vineyards of Timnah, and along comes a young lion roaring toward him. And it's interesting that this happens in the vineyards of Timnah. Samson's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to drink, we know that. He's not even supposed to eat grapes, and he's supposed to completely avoid raisins. By the way, have you ever, you know those green raisins? Those are nasty looking. Do any of you eat those? The, are the white raisins? Well, they're not white to me. I look at them and I think, that looks like a box full of... Thank you. Anyway, it doesn't matter what, it's not what I'm talking about here, but I just think they're kind of gross. But he can't eat grapes or raisins. He can't drink wine. Why is he in a vineyard? Why is the Nazarite whose life is set up as consecrated and devoted to the Lord even near a vineyard? He's not supposed to be. And he tears apart and he kills this young lion. Now this young lion is dead. And what else is a Nazarite not supposed to do? Touch dead things. Strike two, Samson. And we haven't even gotten into the story yet. Amazing. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The roaring lion was in the vineyard, not in the place of sobriety. And it's no surprise that the lion was there. It's an interesting picture to think about. Thankfully, Samson was sober and the spirit took over. The spirit came on him mightily and he was able to defeat that roaring lion. And in the same way, gang, if you are sober and you are filled with the spirit, then when the roaring lion attacks, you can defeat it mightily. Just like Samson. Ephesians 5.8, do not get drunk with wine. That's dissipation, which means, by the way, unsavedness. That's the way the unsaved live. Don't do that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a contrast. Drinking the wine, carnal living. Filled with the Spirit, spiritual living. Well, Rick, I just take a little wine from my stomach. Didn't Paul tell Timothy that? Yeah, he did. Listen again. Do not get drunk with wine. It's dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. And that's the key. Remember, Jesus was tempted by the roaring lion, by Satan in Matthew chapter 4. But before that happened, in Matthew chapter 3, we read of what happened to Jesus. What happened to Jesus before the temptation? He was, he was baptized. And when he was baptized, that was when the Holy Spirit came upon him. Already Spirit-filled, used God from, from you know birth up, People say, when do you think Jesus really realized he was God? I think he always knew. But I also think that he walked until the baptism. He walked without the power of the Spirit. 
He walked without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He was walking God in the flesh, indwelled by the Spirit, as you or I would be when we give our lives to the Lord, but not baptized with the Spirit. How can you say that? Let me explain. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. And by the way, Philippians chapter 2, those first ten verses are absolutely fundamental to our understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. It says, Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. We've shared that word before, kanuo in the Greek. He emptied himself. He made, in, in essence, he voided himself of the power of the Spirit, of his own Spirit. When he came, when he was born of Mary, was he God? Yes. Was he human? Yes. Was he Spirit-filled? I would believe not until he was baptized with the Spirit. Oh, he had the presence of the Spirit. But he emptied himself of that power. There's some old Gospels out there never really made it into the Bible because they're, they're pretty, pretty weak and they were actually written quite a bit later. But there's some old stories out there about Jesus with the kids in his neighborhood making mud pies or mud pigeons and his pigeons flew away, you know. And people speculating about the child Jesus having special powers. And I submit to you that the child Jesus had no other powers than any of the other children except that he knew, he knew who he was. But he didn't have the power to express. He emptied himself until he was refilled at the beginning of his ministry. Why is that? Why did Jesus do that? At two reasons. Jesus came both, number one, to explain God to us. John 1.18 tells us. God in the flesh, and in Jesus Christ we see God. We see a picture of how God lives and moves and breathes and, and, and how He acts and interacts. But the second reason Jesus came was not just to explain God to us, but to exemplify godly living among us. To show us not only who God is, but, listen, who you can be as you walk on this earth. I mean, that should stun you. That is a powerful thought. If you are filled with the Spirit of God, you can walk as Jesus walked. Jesus says greater things than these than you, that you've seen me doing. You're going to do greater things than these. You're impressed with what I've done here? Well, let's, let's recount some of the things. He healed people of deafness, of blindness, of disease. He raised the dead. And he said, you'll do greater things. Really? How's that possible? With the filling of his Holy Spirit. With the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ living in us. you believe that, Rick? Yes, I do. He came to explain God to us, to show us God, but he also came to show us what we could live like if we were filled with the Spirit of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful plan. Who could have come up with someone, something like this other than the Lord? And it reminds us of Zechariah 4, 6, the verse you should have embedded in your heart, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So what am I saying? I'm saying ask for the Spirit. Ask for God to pour His Spirit, specifically the Spirit of Jesus Christ, into your life that you might live by His power. Paul says in Romans 8 9, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. That's Samson right there. The body is dead because of sin, and he keeps sinning and doing just dumb things. But the Spirit is alive, and the might and power of God is present. It's an interesting contrast. 
But if the Spirit of Him, Paul says, listen, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Another absolutely stunning fact. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Paul says, you can have that in your life. That Spirit can dwell within you. Now apparently, Sonny's parents, again, Sonny, that's Samson, Shimshon, his name means Sonny. But Sonny's parents had gone on ahead now at this point to set up the wedding in Timnah so he's not with them. They all went down together, but they got ahead of him. He must have dawdled behind and he ends up in the vineyards. I don't know if he was heading there for a reason or not, but he's there and the, the lion attacks and he tears the lion apart, takes it down. So he catches up with them in Timnah. Verse 7, it says, He went down and, and talked to the woman. And she looked good to Samson. And when he returned later to take her, he turned aside. He he purposefully kind of went out of his way here to look at the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on eating as he went. (laughs) Mm. And he came to his father and mother and gave some of it to them and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. No, would you? I saw this carcass and just, and it's good stuff, isn't it? Now what's interesting about this to me is the carcass of the lion is not maggot filled and infested. It's the bees moved in. And apparently kind of cleared it out and they built a beehive and there's honey in there. And it's sweet and, and it tasted good. But once again, our little buddy the Nazarite is touching a dead thing. He killed the lion in the first place bad enough and now he's gone back to it and he's reaching out and he's scooping out of this dead thing. He is violating the vow that he took not to have wine or haircuts and to touch no dead thing. Put yourself in in, in Samson's position as you reach in and get that honey. I mean, that's that's sweet stuff. I love honey. I'm big on honey. (laughs) Honey goes good with just about everything. We are, you know, we are out of things in the house if we don't have honey. Cheryl has learned that over the years. There's always honey in the cupboard because we are always eating honey. I love honey. It's sweet. It's good. It tastes great. But in Samson's case, the sweetness is in the middle of a dead thing. What a picture of sin. The sweetness is in the middle of the dead thing. And it shows us how, 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 how we look, how, we, how the senses eat up sin. How the senses reach out towards sin because we see something that looks sweet. And we know that's going to taste good. Sin looks good. I won't kid you. It sounds pleasant. It tastes sweet. It smells lovely. And it even feels right when you're doing it so often. Or we wouldn't sin. If it didn't look so good. If it didn't look as sweet as honey. But it's in the carcass of a dead thing. And 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, Samson has all three of those, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world's passing away. And also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And in this harmless little snack, Samson is out of step with the Spirit. He gets out of step. And by the way, I think that's why he doesn't tell his parents where the honey came from. Because he knows he violated his vow. And he doesn't want them to know. 
exactly what a teenager would do. <laughs> I did something wrong. I'm not going to tell mom and dad, you know, uh, how I got to this place. I'm just going to hide that part of it. And that's what Samson's doing here. It goes on and says, Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there. It's a wedding feast. For the young men customarily did this. It says, When they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Now they're in Timnah, and they're having a, a wedding feast. Now these wedding feasts normally lasted seven days. And he doesn't have Israelite brothers or friends or family there. He's got Philistine people there. Thirty Philistines show up for this thing. Verse 12 says, Then Samson said to them, Let me now propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I'll give you thirty linen wraps and thirty changes of clothes. But if you're unable to tell me, then you shall give me thirty linen wraps and give me thirty changes of clothes. And they said to him, Propound your riddle so that we may hear it. What is Samson doing here? He's saying, Riddle me this. (laughs) He's thinking... Normally, the groom will give the groomsmen, which are who these guys are, they're the groom's party at this point, he will give them gifts. Samson is kind of a trickster, and he thinks, well, I can get out of this. I'll give him a riddle, there's no way they're going to figure this one out. I'll give them a riddle, if they can't get it right, then I don't have to give them anything, and I've kind of won a little, a little, you know, a little game here. So this is what's on Samson's mind as he says, check out this riddle, verse 14. So he said to them, out of the eater came something, something to eat. And out of the strong came something sweet. They could not tell the riddle in three days. And then it came about on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband, so that he will tell us the riddle, or we'll burn you and your father's house with fire. (laughs) Nice groomsman. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? Well, Samson's wife, she wept before him and said, You only hate me, and you do not love me. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and have not told it to me. Whiner. And remember, he's not supposed to have wine. (laughs) He's got it here. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father or my mother, so should I tell you? By the way, a little problem here in this young marriage. She's worried about herself and her father. Samson is saying, I haven't even told my own parents, why should I tell you? And doesn't the Bible say that a man shall leave his father and mother and cling unto his wife? And in your marriage and in my marriage, your first priority is to your spouse, not to your family. That is your family. One of the things that breaks up marriages is in-law trouble. And so your priority goes first. To your wife, husbands, to your husband's wife, not to your family. So they're already starting out badly here. And so uh, she wept before him. And it says uh, seven days while the feast lasted. So she's just crying the whole time. It's a happy, happy event. And it says on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him so hard. And she then told the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, Oh, what is sweeter than honey? (laughs) And what is stronger than a lion? And he said, listen to this, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. (laughs) What a sweet guy. The filly is now a heifer. Okay? This is not a good progression in Samson's life. She is all worried. And she says, i got to protect myself. And and he's, he's upset. He's incensed. And his own wife turned against him and didn't just serve him and, and cobble to all of his needs. So, once again, even though this is a bizarre thing, behind the scenes, understand God, God is working. 
Because it says in verse 19, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon, and he killed thirty of them, and took their spoil, and gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle. His anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. But in verse 20, Samson's wife was given to his companion, or his best man, uh, who had been his friend. So, Samson's not in a good way here. He storms off from his wedding feast. He's hopping mad. He says, I'm out of here. The father-in-law says, well, we've got to give her to someone. Best man. You're the best man anyway, so go ahead. You take her. And so, Samson's wife, who should have been his wife, now goes home with the best man. It's a great wedding scenario. Beautiful story. What uh, Samson didn't realize is that the best man had his wedding night instead of him. Because if we begin chapter 15, it says, After a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, Samson visited his wife with a young goat. He's cooled off now. He goes back down and goes, oh, I never got what I got married to get, if you get my drift. And so he goes to see her with a young goat. The heifer is a filly, the filly is a heifer, and now he takes a goat to her. There's a lot of animals involved in this. And he says, I will go in to my wife in her room. But the father did not let him. And her father said, I really thought you hated her intensely. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? The heifer? Right? Please let her be yours instead. And this just gets better and better. And Samson is absolutely out of his mind. He feels wronged. He feels robbed. Watch what he does. Verse 4. Samson went and caught 300 foxes. This is probably, by the way, the word in Hebrew is, is shual and it's probably jackals. Because it can mean either foxes or jackals. And in this region it was probably jackals. And they run in packs, which would be easier for Samson to do what he's doing. He caught 300 of them. He took torches. He turned the fox's tail to tail and put one torch in the middle between two tails. He tied two, two jackals with a torch in between them. And then he set them free. And when he had set fire to the torches, he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines and thus burned up both the shocks and the standing grain along with the vineyards and the groves. This is some creative action here. And then the Philistines said, Who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. And so the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. They did what they said they were going to do in the first place. Now check this out, gang. The men of Timnah had threatened this. They threatened it back in verse 14 of chapter 4. She made the decision to deceive her husband out of fear that they were going to burn her with fire. And she ended up burned anyway. And there's a moral to that. It's never the right thing to do the wrong thing, even for the right reason. It's never the right thing to do the wrong thing, even if your motive is right. Even if you want to do the right thing. Even if you're thinking, well, this will ultimately get me to where I want to be. It never works that way. She learned this the hard way. The whole countryside now is up in flames. And she and her father's house, they ended up burned anyway. Going on in verse 7, Samson then said to them, Since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you. But after that, I will quit. (laughs) He struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter. And he went down and lived in the cleft of the rock of Atom. Samson slaughters them and he heads for the hills. And it tells us then the Philistines went up and they camped in Judah. And they spread out in Lehi. So now the rest of Israel is being impacted by Samson's 
deeds. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come up to bind Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. And so 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock in the tom and they said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over, the, over us? When then is this that you have done, or what then is this that you've done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I've done to them. It's a great, kind of a golden rule. You know? As they've done to me, so I do unto them. You do unto me, I'm doing it right back unto you. And there's another exact contrast with Jesus who said, You treat others the way you want them to treat you. Not you treat others the way you have been treated by them. Samson gives us a beautiful picture of the opposite of agape. (laughs) For agape is treating others the way the Lord has treated us. It's loving others regardless, and it doesn't matter who they are. Well, he's an unbeliever, so I don't have to agape love him. Really? Well, Jesus, thankfully, agape loved you when you were an unbeliever, which is why you're one of his children today. And so, we have this Samson doing the exact opposite of what Jesus did. Samson's golden rule. Samson is a riddle to me. He is as carnal as they come, but the Spirit is on him. He is acting out of his flesh, but God is taking care of business. His personal battle with the Philistines was born out of the fires of passion and lust and anger and revenge, but he still has the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's will and purposes are being fulfilled, delivering Israel from the Philistines. And note this. The Philistines were heavy-handed with Israel. How long had they been? It tells us 40 years. Back in verse 1 of chapter 13, the Philistines had been reigning and ruling over Israel, and in 40 years, Israel hadn't raised up an army to fight against them. Until the Philistines came into Judah seeking Samson. And then they raised up an army of 3,000 men to go get Samson. Not to fight against the Philistines. What is God doing through this whole picture? He's raising up the Israelite army. He's saying, guys... If you're not willing to stand, I'm going to light a fire underneath you and I'm going to get you moving. So now this army of 3,000, they go after Samson. 3,000 men, they're scared of Samson. I mean, how many men did they think would really be needed to take him down? But they send this army of 3,000 to him and, and they ask him what's going on. As they did to me, so I have done to them. One other thought. It's so easy to muster an army against our own, isn't it? When the battle is not here. When the battle is not with our brothers and sisters. And it's so easy to take a stand against other churches, other fellowships, other Christians. That's, that's easier than taking a stand against the real enemy who is not in the church and who is not among fellowships of believers in Jesus. It's the outside world. It's the principalities. It's the unseen things. It's the spiritual forces in the dark places. That's our enemy. And that's who we're called to fight. Not to go up against our own like Israel is going up against Samson. Well, verse 12 says, They said to him, We have come down to bind you so that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me. So they said to him, No, but we will bind you fast and give you into their hands, yet surely we will not kill you. Then they bound him with two new ropes, and they brought him up from the rock. And this is interesting to me because Samson allows himself to be bound. Why would he do this? Possibly, possibly one motivation would be he was feeling a little bad about the, the position he got Israel into. The Israelites were in danger because of his actions. You know, okay, I've got to take some responsibility for that. So yeah, go ahead and bind me and, and send me down 
to the Philistines. But I think the other reason is that Samson's thinking, great, go ahead, bind me, send me down there. I'm going to raise a ruckus when I get there. I'm going to have me some Philly cheesesteak. I'm going to take these guys out. By contrast, by contrast, Jesus allowed himself to be bound, didn't he? But when Jesus was bound, though he could have called 10,000 angels to fight, Jesus kept silent. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Samson, on the other hand, he did open his mouth. Verse 14, When he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire. And his bonds dropped from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. So he reached out and took it and he killed a thousand men with it. And then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. Look at me. Good Samson. Great Samson. Powerful man. He, he names the place, it tells us, when he finished speaking. He threw the jawbone from his hand and named the place Ramath-Lehi. Ramath-Lehi. Jawbone Heights. Basically what that means. The high place of the jawbone. Jawbone Heights, uh, an exclusive gated community. <laughs> place where Samson said, look at what I've done, look at my great strength. He wiped out a thousand men that day. And it's interesting that he did it with the jawbone of a donkey. And I love this because every time we see the Philistines wiped out, it's with some meager little thing. Remember Shamgar? He took on and wiped out 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Remember what David did? As a little guy, he took on the biggest of the Philistines, that giant Goliath, with a slingshot and some pebbles. And here we see Samson using a jawbone of a donkey. And I, I thought about this today. I said, well, what does a donkey symbolize to us? Don't say Democrats. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I just, they have the donkey thing going on, right? <laughs> what does a donkey symbolize to us just in our culture? It's foolishness, right? It's foolishness. That, that's what we think of when we think of a donkey. I, I remember in the, in the old story of Pinocchio. When he's doing dumb stuff, he starts to turn into a donkey, right? So here is Samson with the jawbone of foolishness, this silly, ridiculous, foolish thing, and I'm reminded that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And he's chosen the weak things of the world to shame those which are strong. And I tell you again, I do not believe Samson had the picture, the look of a strong man. I think he looked weak. And in his weakness, and with the jawbone of a donkey, he made the Philistines look foolish and weak themselves, though they were strong. In fact, they were the strongest. Historically, the Philistines were the mightiest of the armies that were in the land. They were the most technologically advanced. They were the toughest fighters. And yet, they are the ones that God took out with an ox goad and a slingshot and a jawbone of a donkey. Paul says the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen and the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption and all those things that we want and hope that we can be it's all from him and Paul says he did this so that as it is written let him who boasts boast in the Lord Samson's boasting in his strength. Ramoth Lehi. 
Jawbone heights. So everybody can remember what I did with the jawbone. And it is the heart of the story of Samson. He is not a strapping, bulging, muscle-bound, strong man. He's a foolish man. He's a weak man. But God uses him anyway. And I say, thank you, Lord. It gives me some confidence that perhaps God can use me. He can use a doofus like Samson. Maybe, in fact, he can use me as well. Why does God pick Samson? Why does God pour His Spirit out on Samson so that the boasting would not be in Samson's strength, but would be in God's strength alone? The boasting would be in the might and power of God and His Spirit. And the same is true with us. Why does He pick some of us to do some of the things He picks us to do so that people would look at us and go, couldn't possibly be you. No way you pulled that off. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Verse 18. Then he became very thirsty. I love this. And he called to the Lord and he said, You've given, you've given this great deliverance by the, by the hand of your servant? And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Samson recognizes something here. He just wiped out all these Philistines with nothing but the jawbone of the donkey. And he's going to die now of thirst. I mean, this is ridiculous. He, he can't get water for the basic easy thing. Just, you know, we normally pack it along in a bottle. He had no water. He's out here in this dry, arid place. He's dying of thirst. He knows there's nowhere he can go to get thirst. And he says, wow. Maybe Jawbone Heights is not the right name for this place. Because <laughs> I'm dying of thirst here, here, Lord. And he has to call out to the Lord. In one moment, I've killed a thousand men. Check me out. I'm thirsty. Check me out. Lord, help me out. And how quickly he shifts and changes to a wasted, exhausting man dying of thirst and fainting. And it reminds me, and listen, great victories are often followed by great frailties. Why is it in our lives? Spiritually speaking, that when we have commanded a great victory, that we are so quickly and immediately reminded of how frail and human we are. Something happens and we realize, wow, yesterday I thought I was something special. Today I'm going, what is wrong with me? Why is that? Great victories are followed by great frailties. And it's so that we will recognize the source of our strength. We will recognize the reservoir of our power Samson is thirsty he's thirsty what was it that that Jesus said John 7.38 he who believes in me as the scripture said from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water Samson needed the water dying of thirst here he cries out to the Lord it's a lesson by the way that Peter learned very well I want to read you a couple of verses here and you can just listen if you'd like Uh, you can turn there if you'd like but we're going to do it real quickly Matthew chapter 26 Matthew chapter 26 and we see we see Peter walk with Jesus those three years great experiences moments of glory passionate excitement about what Jesus was doing and was going to do and in chapter 26 verse 30 of Matthew it says that after singing a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives this is on the night of his betrayal and Jesus said you're all going to fall away because of me tonight For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. 
But after I've been raised, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jawbone heights. (laughs) I'm with you, Lord. I'm standing with you. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows you will deny me three times. And Peter said, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples, they said the same thing too. Great moment of faith as Peter stands up. I'm going all the way to the grave with you if I have to, Jesus. I will stand with you, Jesus. I will be with you, Jesus. And you know that very night, Peter ran away like a little crying wimp. Like a little 98-pound weakling, scared out of his mind, denying Jesus three times, cursing as he goes, and runs off weeping at what he had done. But listen to a different Peter. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, and they, whom they used to set down every day, day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking about receiving alms. He's saying, alms for the poor. Help me out here. You have some, some change. When he saw Peter and John, he began to ask them this. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I walked with Jesus three years. I'm one of the big guys. And I was strong and stood there with Jesus when they took him to the cross. I was there for him, man. And they tried to kill me, but I took him out. And then Jesus resurrected. Of course, I was there helping the angels move the stone away. You know, and I walked out of that whole process. Man, it was something I did, and I'm here to help you out because I've got something to give. Of course, you know that's not what he said. Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. There was no music playing, by the way. He's just praising God. God, you are so good to me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I can walk. Check it out. This is great. God is at work here. He's not saying, did you see this, Peter? What a stud. No, he's praising God. It says all the people saw him walking and praising God. They were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he was still clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, he said, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. This is a very different Peter than the night of the betrayal. He's now, I mean, boldly talking about the same Jesus who they crucified. And he says, you disowned him. You asked for a murderer. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, 
It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect help in the presence of you all. A very different Peter. Peter on the one hand on the night of betrayal is saying, I will stand. I'm going to make it all the way with you, Lord. And Peter now is saying, it is only by the power of the name of Jesus Christ that this man walks at all. Don't look at us. We've got nothing to give you but the precious name of Jesus. And Peter learned his lesson. He's a humbler Peter. He is a gentler Peter. He is a Peter who knows where the power unto victory truly lies. Back in Judges chapter 15, verse 19, thirsty Samson, who had just claimed his job on heights and was proud of his victory, cries out to the Lord. And verse 19 says, God split the hollow place that is in Lehi so that water came out of it. When he drank, his strength returned and he revived. And therefore, he named it in Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. In Hakor. He changed the name. Now, Ramah, Lehi, Jabon Heights, it's not a good name for this place after all. What are you naming it here, Samson? I'm going to call it the spring of the one who calls. In Hakor. The spring of the one who calls. This is a humble statement by Samson. He's learning a little something here. He says, no, no. Not Jawbone Heights, which puts all the focus on me and what I did. It's the spring of the one who calls. Because here, I was humble before the Lord. And I would have died if I had not called out to Him. It was His deliverance. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 40:29 that He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, He increases power. Though youths grow tired and weary and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Samson calls. He cries out to the Lord. And the Spirit, well, the water springs out of the rock which is exactly what Jesus said would happen. The water springs out of the rock of our salvation. The rock is Jesus. And again, he says, John 7, 38, you believe in me, as the scripture says, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And all you have to do to receive the strength of the Spirit of Jesus in your life is to be the one who calls. Spring of the one who calls. In Hakor. Like Samson. Call out to the Lord. Call out believing and he will give you strength. Verse 20 tells us he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Next week we'll continue in Samson's story. As we meet his uh, arch nemesis, Superman, Samson's only uh, own personal Lex Luthor, a woman named Delilah. And that story is very interesting as I know you know. Let's pray for a moment. Father, it's interesting to me, this theme keeps coming up. We continue to return to it. And I believe, Lord, that you are faithfully attempting to teach us something, and that is that our strength is by the power of your Spirit. Father, we return to it, and perhaps we haven't heard it yet. Perhaps we haven't fully believed it. Perhaps we're still trying to walk and live by our own power. And with our own ingenuity and intelligence and strength and abilities, perhaps we're relying still on those things instead of calling out for your Holy Spirit. 
instead of Lord living by your leading instead of satiating our thirst on the living water by crying out to the rock of our salvation and so Jesus tonight we very simply and there's, there's nothing there's nothing mumbo jumbo or hocus pocus about asking the Lord for his spirit Because I pause here in prayer, let me just say to you all that I think the church has missed it when we think that receiving the Holy Spirit has to be mystical, magical. That's of the world. It is a precious and simple thing to receive the Holy Spirit poured out upon you. And the Bible tells us all we have to do is ask. He is He is a Father who wants to give good things to His children. And Luke tells us Jesus said... You know how to give thanks to your kids and you're evil. How much more will the Father give His Holy Spirit to those who just ask? Just ask. As we pray, I invite you tonight, if you have never asked for the indwelling, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for strength and power that can come only by the Lord, if you've never asked for that in your life, ask Him. Just ask Him. Dear Father, we want to move and live by the power of your Spirit. We want to be drenched. We ask that you will pour out on us. And through the outpouring of your Spirit, dear Lord, we ask that we might have wisdom and discernment, that we might not call attention to ourselves, but we might be among those who only bring attention to the name of Jesus. May we have power, Lord, to witness the the dunamis, Father, that Jesus promised in Acts chapter 2, that we might witness in this world to the name of Jesus Christ, that we might be witnesses to all the ends of the earth, starting with our own homes. We pray for the power of your Spirit that we might be gifted to serve in the body to minister one to another. And Father, the more of your Spirit you pour out, I pray that you will accompany that with humility on our part. May we recognize who we are without you, but may we rejoice in who we are with you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you pray that along with me, I, I just have to encourage you. The Holy Spirit gives as He wills. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you will know. You will know that He is upon you. And uh, again, we, we miss it when we think it has to be accompanied by, you know, fireworks. If you've asked the Spirit to come upon you tonight and be in you and be working in your life in a powerful way, if you've asked for the power of the Spirit, then what I encourage you to do is to ask the Lord to keep your eyes open to what He's doing. Not just tonight. Through the next week, through the next month, as you're opening the Bible, are you seeing things differently? As you're looking at people, are you motivated to love differently? Are you aware of gifts maybe you weren't aware of? 
and walk that out. And don't play the religious game. You know, it is truly a religious thing to seek a sign and to seek, you know, a buzz. God may buzz some of you tonight, and that's okay. But just simply ask the Lord to show you how He's moving and walk with His Spirit. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Talk to you later.